Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Friday night, recording this for Saturday. The Nuggets, they just got done with a a really difficult win. Uh, They had to struggle for this one against the San Antonio Spurs. We knew that it was going to be like this. We knew that this game was going to be uh, a, a better contest, I think, than the previous one. Just because the Spurs, they're a very well-coached team. You knew that Greg Popovich would come out with something. They are fighting for their playoff lives, and the Nuggets really had to survive. They ultimately did pull out the win 121-119 over the Spurs. Nikola Jokic records a triple-double. Michael Porter Jr. gives 22-10 and in 40 minutes, including a game-saving defensive play. The Nuggets, they did give up 36 points in the fourth quarter. It was a furious run by the Spurs. There was a little bit of aid from the Nuggets side of things. They didn't exactly defend well. Um, But give the Spurs their credit. They made a furious comeback attempt. The Nuggets were able to hold them off, and it was very close. I did not expect them to be able to hold it back, but they did. And Nikola Jokic comes through. Monte Morris goes with him. I thought it was a really, really impressive performance from those two in particular. Uh, But I think the story of this game really does have to start with that fourth quarter collapse. And we have to talk about just sort of what happened towards the end of it. Uh, And so here's here's basically the layout of those plays that occurred in that time. The Nuggets, they were up 114 to 103 at the 341 mark in the fourth quarter. That was right after Monte Morris hit what I coined a dagger shot, uh, a dagger three-pointer. I tweeted that out. I thought the game was over. Did not expect the Spurs to come back and make a furious rally. They did. Uh, Denver proceeded to get outscored 16-7 to in the final 341, giving up 16 points within four minutes. Not great. Not what you're expecting to do. Uh, Denver only won by two points, and it really was by the skin of their teeth. Uh, let's talk about the offensive possessions during that time. You had a missed Aaron Gordon three. You had a a Michael Porter Jr. offensive basket interference off of a Jokic uh, missed layup and tip-in. You had a Jokic turnover on a double team in the post. You had a Michael Porter Jr. missed 19-footer. That was pretty questionable shot selection, if you ask me. Not a great shot with time on the clock. You had Jokic free throws. Then a Monte Morris layup, which was huge. That was Denver's last bucket. You had a missed Jokic Sambor shuffle as he was getting double teamed with about 35 to 40 seconds left. Uh, You had Barton free throws. And then you had Michael Porter Jr. free throws. Uh, He made one of two, obviously. Denver struggled to get the shots that they wanted down the stretch. Uh, I thought that the Spurs really defended them well, causing some chaos. They got Jokic to turn the ball over on a double team when he wasn't expecting it. Uh, put the ball behind his head, and DeMar DeRozan took it right away from him. Uh, it was a clean uh, turnover. Uh, it was a clean steal, I believe. That's that's uh, not what I expected in that situation, but I think that it came out clean. And then the Spurs hit everything. While Denver struggled to get their shots, the Spurs hit everything, but it really wasn't that hard for them. They got either a three, a layup, or free throws on every single possession, except for one. It was a turnover by DeMar DeRozan. He tried to hit some early offense, throw a pass to Jakob Pertl over the top of Jokic, missed the pass, MPJ steals it. 
That was a really, really big deal. Keldon Johnson, he missed at the buzzer after Michael Porter's free throws. Everybody on the Nuggets thought that the Spurs were going to call timeout after Porter missed the free throw. But Keldon Johnson grabbed the ball, drove the length of the floor. There was no timeout called. It would have given Denver time to set their defense. And Keldon Johnson got all the way to the rim, but not before Michael Porter got in front of him and gave a really, really excellent contest. Uh, I thought it was really impressive the way that he handled himself. Keldon Johnson drove the length of the floor very quickly. Porter got back into position, made sure he wasn't in a fouling position, contested the shot really well. Uh, The Spurs had a couple opportunities to tip the ball in, but at that point, you're just hoping for a miracle. It really was Michael Porter at that stretch where he saved that game, despite the fact that he missed the free throw in the first place. Uh, The Spurs could have come down and hit a three. That probably would have been even more likely. Uh, I thought that the Spurs... It is questionable whether they should have called a timeout or not. Uh, It's right on that threshold of six seconds, seven seconds. Uh, If you go, if you have more than seven seconds, usually coaches will call it. Uh, Usually coaches will let it fly in that situation. They'll give the the offensive team the, uh, the ability to drive the length of the floor. If it's less than that, then they'll try to stop the stop the play, call a timeout, run a set play while advancing the ball into the front court. That's what I would have expected in this case, but it was kind of on that threshold. Popovich decided to let it ride, and I thought it was the right call based off of the shots that they got. A layup at the buzzer, two tippins at the buzzer. Like, you can't really ask for much more than that. But Denver does hang on by the skin of their teeth. They win. And Nikola Jokic was the biggest reason why. Jokic dominated this game. 26 points, 14 assists, 13 rebounds. He is unbeatable, and the Nuggets are unbeatable when they're in their flow offense and they're hitting the rhythm shots. There was a stretch in the middle of the fourth quarter tonight where it just felt like Jokic was bending the defense in so many different ways. He was on the block, uh, up top at the, at the top of the key, uh, both both sides of the court on the block. And any time the Spurs came to double him, he hit a perfect pass to a three-point shooter that was basically a skip pass or was a one pass away. He hit the open man. The open man hit the shot. The Spurs were betting that Denver wouldn't, but Monte Morris came up big on several occasions. Uh, Will Barton hit a three that was big. Uh, they got the ball to the right guys in that situation. I thought that Porter really struggled tonight with his shot. Uh, that's not something you usually hear. But Monte Morris, he did not. Uh, I'll get into him in just a bit. But he was really, really good. Uh, Jokic especially uh, hit some very important shots himself. Grabbed a couple rebounds down the stretch that were very important. Uh, it didn't start well, uh, or at least in the middle of the game it wasn't great. Jokic picked up a technical foul in the middle of the second quarter. Uh, There was a play where he was throwing the ball in the paint with kind of not deep post position, but like in the paint post position. And DeMar DeRozan comes over, slaps his elbow, just completely jars the ball loose uh, to the tone of no call. And Jokic is just incensed because it creates a turnover for him. It creates a turnover for the team, at least. And it's because a foul that occurred wasn't called. And Jokic, on the way, the entire way down the floor, just goes after the ref. 
just tries to get him to, to call a T, tries to get him to get that technical foul, stop the play. The ref, he's probably right to do this, but it, it is probably the most just disrespectful thing a ref can do for a star player. He lets Jokic kind of earn the technical and then lets the play draw out for the Spurs to score, and they, they do score. And then he calls Jokic for the technical, the subsequent technical that it was just so like insulting because he he called it and was very calm about it. Didn't like didn't even give Jokic the time of day, and just kind of went over to the scorers' table. Didn't listen to him in any way, shape, or form. And it it kind of like it felt very standoffish. There was a lot like a lot of unspoken language there, where if if you are a star player and you are feeling like you're getting fouled and you're not getting the benefit of the doubt. You hadn't had zero. You had zero free throws up to that point. It's right for Jokic to feel like the guys are against him. It's not right for the for the refs to just not listen to him to ignore what he has to say. And Jokic was fed up. He went right after said ref. Uh, it was like Jokic was rightfully pissed. And then Jokic also did get six free throws after that. He had an and one. He had a I think a technical free throw. And then he had two uh, shooting foul possessions, basically. Or at least possessions where he earned two free throws. So it's progress. Like, six free throws is is more than I thought he would get tonight. I I set the over-under on Twitter at 4.5. But he did it. There's progress made. Maybe this is the start of something where he can start getting a couple more calls. Uh, But he really does get hacked, like, a lot of these times. And he is just so irritated when... It results in a turnover, and, and he's clearly hacked, and there's no there's no call. So, I sympathize with him for sure. He's the MVP. Like he deserves a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. That if he's complaining for a call, referees have to be watching that closer. If they miss it, then they better be apologizing because he deserves more respect than that. I mentioned Monte Morris earlier. He was awesome. Twenty one points on seven of eight from the field. Eight shots. That's really, really impressive stuff. And he only went to the line twice, which meant that he was very efficient from the field. And a lot of his shots came from three, and he capitalized on them. Seven of eight from the field, five of five from three, two of two from the free throw line. Just an incredibly efficient performance. And he benefited from Jokic's passes a ton. I'm not sure how many assists Jokic had to just Morris, but it felt like Morris was in rhythm a lot of the time off of Jokic passes out of the post, out of the, from one wing to another, uh, things like that. It felt like Morris was the beneficiary tonight of a, of an offense that was generating open looks on the perimeter for, for the team. So good stuff from him. He was a plus 14 in a two point win. Uh, one of his important pass or one of his important buckets came on a layup in that fourth quarter. I mentioned it, a Monte Morris layup where he was trying to get the ball to Nikola Jokic, and the Spurs were kind of shading that. They like, I think it was Dejounte Murray on him. It might have been somebody else, but one of his uh, Morris's defender was shading the post up, and it was giving Mur- uh, Morris the baseline. And him having the confidence and the ability to be able to execute that really well—that was really, really important. Uh, oh, oh, you know what it was? It was. Uh, it was uh, on a switch, and Jakob Pertl was in front of him. Jokic was to his left, kind of at the elbow area, 
They were trying to get the ball to Jokic on the switch, but Pirtle was shading so far away from Morris that he just drove the lane and got the goaltending call off of a Pirtle failed block attempt. So, really great stuff from Monte. Without him, the Nuggets do not win this game. He stepped up in a very big way when I think there were a lot of falterings with that group. I didn't think Gordon was as good tonight. Did not think Porter was as good tonight. Faku was not closing. Barton was fine. He was he was mostly good uh, with that starting group, but they needed another guy, and, and Monte was the stabilizer, and that was really important. I mentioned tonight it wasn't a good uh, MPJ game. Defensively, he was behind the play a lot. He reacted a lot more uh, rather than anticipating because the, the Spurs run a lot of quick movement stuff. They put MPJ in a lot of situations where he had to make quick reads and anticipate those quick reads because if he was behind the play, he was going to get burned by guys that are really good shooters. Uh, Rudy Gay really took advantage of him tonight. That's a veteran who I thought that Porter did a good job against yesterday, or on, on Wednesday. Rudy Gay took advantage of him on Friday. Uh, Derek White also drove by him on, on a couple of occasions in, in switch situations. That is not a good sign. Uh, Porter also didn't do great in a lot of the offensive possessions that he had late in the game. And that's a, that's not a great sign that when you're, when you're without Jamal, when you don't have the Jokic Murray two man game that you can rely on, you need something else to rely on the Jokic MPJ two man game. Porter taking an off-balance 19-footer when there's time on the clock, uh, when he gets a second basket interference call in the clutch, uh, those aren't great. You can work for better shots than those. You could be be smarter than that on the offensive end. I think that Porter, whenever he fades away, he's doing himself a disservice because there are very few players that if he just resets himself, if he goes straight up, nobody can block his shot. Nobody can, like, when he's on balance... Nobody can touch him, and especially not the Spurs players, who are all shorter than him by a lot. So I hope that he watches this film, realizes that there are a lot of moments. Like, I think he, he nearly airballed a uh, kind of like a 10 to 12 footer that he turned into a 12 to 14 footer in, in the second quarter because he could be making a lot of those shots by just being patient, taking the time. Kawhi Leonard does this really well where he gets to his spot, and rather than fading away, he just kind of squares up and goes straight up and down. That's a skill that MPJ can develop, and with time, I think he will. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be the the kind of picturesque Kobe fall away. It can be more fundamental than that, because he will score more points. He's going to be a 30-point-per-game scorer at some point in his career. Uh, that is undeniable. He can get there easily if he gets to those spots easily. Just create the the really easy separation there. Let's take a quick break before we talk about the bench. Uh, but when, when what we're going to talk about now, uh, I think is very interesting. I've mentioned DraftKings before. It is is the sponsor of this of this podcast. It's been a great one. Uh, as you guys know, basketball is wrapping up with the final month of the regular season, gearing towards the playoffs. Some teams are locks to make the playoffs, like your Denver Nuggets. Others, they're still fighting for their opportunity. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action with a chance to turn $1 into $100 of free bets. I love this promo because this is a great time. Uh, You can turn 
$1 into $100 by simply betting on a basketball team uh, to hit a three. And if they hit a three, and if they win their game, then you bring home $100 in free bets. That's 100 to 1 odds on the team of your choosing to hit a three. They don't even need to win, actually. That's, that's actually a thing here. They don't need to win. They just need to hit one three. I don't think any team has missed a th- like missed, missed hitting threes ever before in, in a long, long time. So they're being hit at an unprecedented rate. Get in on all of the action with DraftKings Sportsbook before this offer ends. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free bets if the basketball team of your choosing hits a three. That's code MHS to turn $1 into $100 in free bets for a limited time. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Pickaxe and Roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, you guys have been great on, on all of the five-star reviews on, on this podcast. It's been awesome to watch those flow in on Apple Podcasts. So if you're so inclined, I'd love to see uh, just another one. Uh, but if not, hey, thank you so much, everybody, for, for filling those out. It means a big, big much. It's, it's a big, big deal. I don't know why I said big, big much there. That doesn't make any sense at all. It's late. All right, so let's talk about the bench. Uh, this is a really weird time for Denver because I have zero confidence in their bench unit outside of Monte Morris. There's a lot to unpack here. Uh, the Nuggets have six guys that I trust right now. It's the starters and Monte. In, t- in tonight's game, Michael Malone played Monte Morris, Will Barton, P.J. Dozier, Paul Millsap, and JaVale McGee. He played all of those guys. He started Faku in place of Monte due to the minutes restriction, which I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of, but it is what it is. Uh, I think that there's, there's a lot of issues here. And let's start with this one. Uh, in the fourth quarter, Denver had started off pretty poorly. Uh, they got a basket after, I think, the, the 10-0 whatever mark. Uh, and then at 10-03, with the Nuggets up 11, Michael Malone takes out Monte Morris. He brings back in Faku, MPJ, takes out Morris and Dozier. Uh, You've got Faku, Barton, Porter, Millsap, and JaVale. And in 2.20 of time, the Spurs go on an 8-2 run. Denver's offense shut down. They call a timeout. All the starters come back in. You're basically going full subs. Barton plays the entire fourth quarter because he has to. Porter barely like he Porter played 40 minutes in this game. Uh you had then you had Jokic coming back in, Aaron Gordon coming back in, and Monte Morris coming back in. He's really a starter in this case. I'm just not sure who to trust 
when that's coming off the bench right now. Monte was the biggest bright spot, but he's more of a starter in this configuration. He finished the game tonight, of course. Tonight, it was Malone going with Millsap and McGee. In the previous Spurs game, they went with Jamichael Green and JaVale McGee, resting Paul Millsap on the back-to-back. Those two had a good second quarter together, Millsap and McGee. They were horrible in the fourth quarter. Just not, not, not good. Uh... Millsap struggled to finish around the rim again tonight. His only basket came on an uncontested dunk. Uh, JaVale McGee, he controlled the glass tonight. He had eight rebounds in ten minutes, which is great. But he also committed three turnovers, committed four fouls. Just not a lot of trust there. Not a lot of ability to turn to a guy like that and say, Cool, I am good to play you for five to seven minutes and give Nikola Jokic five to seven minutes of breather. That was about all they could really get, and they needed even a little bit more than that, or at least it would have been nice if they had a little bit more. I thought B.J. Dozier, he did some great things tonight offensively and defensively. I thought he was one of the only guys that that kind of stood up to DeMar DeRozan, who was really, really good tonight. DeMar DeRozan, 24 points, 12 assists. thought Aaron Gordon struggled on him a little bit, but I thought there were other contributing factors to that as well mostly surrounding Faku, Will Barton, and Porter. I didn't think that Gordon was the only guy, let's just say, to uh, to struggle tonight on the defensive end. Uh, but PJ, he had a, a little bit of a mind meld going on with Nikola Jokic on a lot of cases. He had a lot of great cuts, had an and one tonight, uh, a, a good vertical cut from the uh, from the left wing, uh, cutting off of Jokic at the at the at the top of the circle, that was a really, really important basket. Uh, And PJ is a guy that, if you're going to think about who deserves that trust, he's a guy that I think stands out. The shot hadn't been going in for a while. It seems to have come back over these last couple of games. Uh, That is really important to see. And I think that a lot of the reason why is because he hasn't really been playing with Faku a ton. He's been playing more with Jokic, playing more with uh, with Porter, with Barton, with Morris, guys like that, with JaVale McGee as a as a uh, rim runner. It's been really important, giving PJ a little bit more space to operate, a little bit more kind of direction there. But we got to talk about Faku. This isn't good. Faku got the start tonight, and, and I want to say this. I don't do this because I dislike the dude. I don't do this because... I'm trying to target a, a foreigner because I love Nikola Jokic. He's my favorite player of all time. Like, I'm definitely not trying to do this in a xenophobic manner. So anybody from Argentina that's listening here, I'm really trying not to target Faku because he's from Argentina or anything like that. It's just what I see on the floor. He got the start tonight, did some good things initially, hit a three, got to the free throw line a lot. That was really cool to see. The defensive end is a problem. It is a really, really, really big problem. And there were several occasions tonight where the size, he has a a propensity to leave his man while playing help defense. He got taken advantage of tonight. He did some good things, don't get me wrong. Took a charge, pressured the ball handlers pretty well, poked free a steal on DeJounte Murray early in the game that I thought was a big one. Uh, But it's early. And he also kind of does some bad stuff along with that gambling, because when he gambles for steals, 
He had a couple possessions where that led to free dunks, one for DeMar DeRozan, and then three-point shooters because other guys have to rotate over. He had a he had a couple possessions tonight where he got crossed up with somebody because they didn't want to switch. They wanted Faku to stay on his man. Faku wanted to switch. This was a particular one with Aaron Gordon, who didn't want Faku to switch on to DeMar DeRozan because DeMar had posted up and, and dunked easily while being guarded by Faku in the post. Faku can't do a lot of those things. And while he's out there, this team kind of suffers from the Isaiah Thomas disease, where even though Isaiah Thomas might not be an individually like like awful defender, he was always a guy that his teammates were where they were just shading over a lot. They were trying to give as much help as possible because they saw a lot of mismatches. And when I see Faku, I see a lot of mismatches out there. There are times where he makes the hero play, and he's a better guy than the Nuggets have than anybody on their roster at making the hero play defensively. But it's the other things. It's the the floaters over the top of him because he doesn't even he can't even get in the way. It's the jump shots that like the this is my biggest pet peeve. It's the closeouts where he's either closing out wildly because he can't reach the guy, and then people drive right by him for an easy two. Or it's the closeouts where he tries to go under control, but because he's so short, people will just rise up in his face anyway and hit the shot. That is a really, really tough place for Denver to be. And I just don't see that changing. It's not something that Faku can control. He still does a lot of good things on the offensive end where he moves the ball well, where he gets people into good position. But even on the offensive end, him not being able to drive to the rim and hit shots is a really, really big problem. He did have a few free throws tonight, and that is a good sign that he was willing to kind of get into the mess of things and and try to get to the rim a little bit. I asked him on Wednesday night how important it was for him to space the floor continuously, and he made mention of that as well. That's something that he wants to do. And to his credit, he took two threes tonight. The problem is, is that he only took two shots. He had the six free throws, but he's such a low usage guy that teams are going to start to leave him entirely. Teams don't care. And they don't have as far to go on the closeout because he's 5'9". He was a team worst, or second second on the team to Will Barton, but a minus 11 tonight. And I tend to think that there's something there, that in, in a two-point victory where he spent a lot of time with the starters, with Jokic, with Porter, with Barton, with Gordon. Spent a lot of time with those guys. I tend to think that there is something there, that it's not just the other guys when you're talking about Faku. He makes a lot of visceral plays where you see the impact, where you see him working, where you see him hustling. It's the ones where he just gets the floater over him by Derek White. He loses his man on a closeout for a three on the wing. Those aren't as visible as when he is kind of sliding his feet in pressure defense and moving like a jitterbug, gambling for steals, quick hands, lightning hands. He does a lot of good things on that end. But it's the things that he can't do that are the most troublesome. I don't think he's in the playoff rotation. I don't think that Michael Malone can trust him. 
And that is a really big question mark because I tend to think that Michael Malone is, is in this position, starting Faku Campazzo while Jamal Murray is out. Partially because you want to keep that continuity with Monte Morris on the bench, but partially because he knows that Faku's minutes are about to get cut down by a lot. Denver can only play nine guys. Ten if you're counting Faku. Eleven if you're counting, like, the triumvirate of Jamichael Green, JaVale McGee, Paul Millsap. That's eleven right there. I tend to trust the nine ahead of Faku. You've got the starters, you've got Monte Morris, you've got P.J. Dozier, and then you've got two of the bigs. Whether it's Jermichael Green, whether it's Paul Millsap, whether it's JaVale McGee, whatever combination of those three, two of those three. That's nine. Denver's always going to have a starter on the bench. They're going to, or they're going to leave, leave a starter in to play with the bench. Whether it's Murray, whether it's Porter, whether it's Jokic, whether it's Barton. That's going to be the situation for this Denver team. And it's tough, and people don't want to hear it, especially my Argentine brethren, especially the ones that are insulting me constantly on Twitter. That's really irritating. I know it's a passionate topic. I know it feels like I'm coming at him consistently. It is a problem, because good teams are going to take advantage of it. There are a lot of teams with a lot of elite guards that are going to go at him, and I just don't want to be the guy to have to like say all the negative things. It's going to happen at some point. It's going to be it's going to go very badly. And I I don't I don't look forward to the day that I, that that comes because I want him to succeed. He is a great story. He's a lot of fun to watch. But I think we're going to see it. And that's sad. That is a really really sad thing. But I don't know how this bench gets better unless they cut it down, unless they try new things. I think that they need to start working in Michael Porter a little bit uh, with that bench unit. They've been working in Barton. They've been working in Monte. I think Porter might be a, a good beneficiary. If you play Michael Green, if you play JaVale McGee, I think you can get away with Michael Porter at the three, Monte Morris at the one, P.J. Dozier at the two. And you feel pretty good about that lineup from a and athleticism and switching perspective. They've got a lot of length and, and defensive tenacity to be able to really prevent teams from scoring. We'll see if it works. We'll see if they go to it. Uh, we'll see if they just go with three guards instead. That is also fine. It's not a big deal. But Denver has to figure out this bench. It can't be so irregular. It can't be a situation where you're, you're having to bring back in Jokic for a lot of minutes, where Porter's playing 40, Jokic is playing 38, Barton's playing 36. That's too much. Gotta cut it down. Gotta get it down to the 32 to 35 range. That's much better. When we come back, we're going to go around the league, talk about where the league stands right now, where the Western Conference stands. We'll be right back. Final segment here, pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn, thank you so much for tuning in. Let's bounce around the league before we get out of here. Uh, 
I think this is a good time to really talk about where the league stands because Denver, they're kind of the last team standing in terms of the teams that were uh, on this on these wild streaks. You had a, 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 a nine-game winning streak, I'm pretty sure, from Utah. I think you had a nine-game winning streak from Phoenix. Uh, both of those teams, they ultimately lost. And Denver, they just won their eighth in a row. So Denver now has the, the longest winning streak because Utah lost to Phoenix and Phoenix lost to the Clippers. These teams are cannibalizing each other. They are the only teams that can stop each other. There's no other team in the NBA outside of maybe a healthy Brooklyn team, maybe a healthy Milwaukee team, but not even. Like Milwaukee, they can't even do that. They struggled with a, a Lakers. I don't they, did they win against the Lakers? I can't remember, but it certainly felt like it. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's just tough that Denver is in this point where they are winning every game and they've barely gained any ground at all because all of these teams are great in the Western Conference. It is just a very, very distinct difference between what the Eastern Conference is dealing with right now. Let's just go through the last 10 games for each of the Western Conference teams. Utah, 8-2. Phoenix, 8-2. Clippers, 8-2. Nuggets, 9-1. Lakers, 4-6. Big drop off there without LeBron and AD. Portland, 5-5. They've slid a little bit. They've run into some tough competition, but they're also they're also not super great. Like they're a team that has really survived on the back of Damian Lillard and just some of some of the heroism that he's put himself through in order to get these things to happen. Uh, he is incredible. The rest of the team is not. I am not scared of the Portland Trailblazers. Dallas at seven. They're seven and three. Dallas is really creeping up there. We're going to talk about them in a little bit. Memphis, they are 6-4. and four. They are currently in the 8th seed. They've passed the San Antonio Spurs over the course of the last couple uh, couple days. San Antonio, they've, they've lost five in a row now. Memphis has really gained that ground on them. Uh, and, and it looks like Memphis may be a team that's continuing to rise. Though I don't think they'd rise as high as the Lakers would fall. That is, that is a big stipulation there. So, with that in mind, we should probably talk about, um, let's talk about Jokic. Everyone and their mother posted a Jokic for MVP podcast this week. It felt like Jokic MVP week. That's kind of what it seemed like. He had a lot of great performances. Everybody seemed to be waiting for the tide to turn. It never turned away from him. If anything, the tide kind of receded around the other candidates. And Jokic sort of, he, uh, he sort of stood out in a lot of great ways. Uh, Zach Lowe had on good friend of the program, Adam Morris, uh, over at DNVR and of Locked on Nuggets. Uh, Adam did his, did his job as always and spouted the prophecy of Jokic. Was great. Zach also had Doris Burke on, who is a big Jokic fan. She, she loves what the Nuggets have done loves what Jamal Murray has done, and and I think that's a, a really important person to have in your corner. Uh, the mismatch on the ringer with, with Chris Vernon and Kevin O'Connor, they had a Jokic for MVP podcast. Even the Hoop Collective over at ESPN, they, uh, with Brian Windhorst, um, they, they had a Jokic for MVP podcast. Although, Brian Windhorst did say that he still has Embiid at one, Jokic at, or LeBron at two, and Jokic at three. Which, frankly, is sort of insane. 
like when you think about it, all of these teams are are like they're great. All these guys are are great. Don't get me wrong, but when you're starting to like pick your nits, you you have to look at the games played here. Jokic has played now 52 games. LeBron's at 41, and his team is worse. His team is now worse than Denver's. Embiid, I think he's now at 34 games played after laying an egg tonight against the the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, he's fine. He's great. He's not as good as Jokic. Never was. That's not where this is at. People are are proclaiming that, that Embiid has been a better player than Jokic this year when he's played. I'm not sure that's really true. I actually don't think that's true. Jokic has been the best player when he's played, and he's played the most. That should count for something, especially with Denver climbing up the standings the way that they are. But, say Levy, like, I think it's ludicrous to, to have anything other than Jokic as the top MVP candidate right now. But it is what it is. People are going to do what they do, and Jokic just has to continue to prove himself. Though he doesn't really care at all. <laughs> Let's be honest. I mentioned Embiid getting torched. Went 5 of 16 tonight, uh, and they lost to the New Orleans Pelicans, who have been hit by a bunch of injuries and don't have their full cadre of players. Uh, 5 of 16 while being guarded by Steven Adams, who Jokic regularly torches. Not a great look. Sixers losing to the Pelicans. Zion going off by attacking the rim. Embiid supposed to be protecting the rim. Not sure what, what what was going on there. I didn't watch the game. Of course, I was watching Jokic track up a triple-double and a win. The Nuggets are still in fourth place at 34-18. and 18. Let's just look at the standings here. The Jazz are at 39-13, and 13, so they're a full five games up on Denver. Denver will have one more game against them uh, at the end of this, or towards the end of this year, so they could still earn a game on them and earn the tiebreaker. So if you win that game and then get the tiebreaker, you only have to earn another four games. I still don't think that's likely. The Jazz have played so well. They haven't been hit by injuries. They're a team that is going to probably get the one seed. That's where all trend lines are going. The Suns are now at 36-15, and 15, which is three games up in the loss column on Denver. Uh, they've played one less game, so they'll probably win their next one. But three games is different than five, or four, really, because Denver already has the tiebreaker on the Suns. And if Denver kind of makes up that ground, they could technically get up to two. That is something that they could do. The Clippers are at 36 and 18. They are tied in the loss column with Denver. They have two more wins than Denver, uh, but the tied in the loss column part is the most important thing. That, that tiebreaker is still outstanding. The Nuggets have a game against the Clippers. I think it's May 1st, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that. But it's around the beginning of May where they play the Clippers, the Lakers, the, the Nets, and the Jazz basically back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Uh, that's going to be a tough stretch. But if Denver can make up any ground there, that's a really important time. If they could earn that tiebreaker, that would be really big. Because Denver's trying to get home court. They're just trying to ensure that they're in the top four. They want to be able to have a home playoff series in the first round no matter what. Because they're a team that's going to benefit from that. They're definitely a team that, as Denver kind of gets more fans in the building, as they get more energy, they're going to want the home crowd, the altitude on their side, have a potential Game 7 at home. But they also want to start, like, 
if they can, they'd like to start off like up top, like with a 2-0 lead in a series because they've always been down. They have only ever been down 2-1 in playoff series in their history. If you think about it, or with with the, the Jokic era, the Spurs game or the Spurs series, they started down 2-1 in 2019. Blazers started down 2-1 after they, they lost that heartbreaking over a four overtime game. Next year, they go up against the Jazz. They go down 3-1. Clippers down 3-1. Lakers, they obviously go down 3-1 and then lose it in five. They were close in that one, but or at least closer than the than the final product indicated, but they would rather be up. I can tell you that for sure. They are like they they'd like to get that home court so they could start establishing themselves a little bit. And they deserve that. Like the, that should be something that they are trying to think about. I would I for one would, would love to cover a series that Denver wins in five or six games. That would be great. It would be much less pressure. That's for sure. Below Denver, Denver's at 34 and 18. They're a four seed in the West. The Lakers are now down to 32 and 20. And it's going to be hard for them to make up ground now because they're now two games back fully. They could win the tiebreaker with Denver when later in the season, when LeBron and AD come back, they could win the tiebreaker. But those guys aren't coming back right now. So they're going to continue to lose ground in all likelihood. We'll see whether that's actually true. We'll see whether. Other teams kind of pick up their end of the bargain there. But the Lakers are in a tough position where they could drop to six or even seven. Because at six right now is the, the Blazers are at 30 and 21. As I mentioned earlier, they're scuffling a little bit. But they're better than a, a Lakers team that doesn't have LeBron and AD. So they should try to get over the top of them. If they do, Denver might not be, like, they'd be okay with being in the 4-5 matchup. If they're in the 4-5 with Portland, they're doing they're doing great. Because a 4-5 matchup with Portland and then a 1-4 matchup with Utah, I think Denver would take that. That'd be great for them. Portland's at 6 with 30 and 21. Mavericks at 7, 29 and 22. They're just one game back. I actually don't think that Portland is going to go up. I think they're going to stay at 6 or go down. Because they seem like a team that's kind of coming to grips with who they actually are. We'll see if that's actually true. They can obviously make up some ground, but they have a really tough schedule. And that will probably work against them. Because they don't beat teams that are above them. I don't know if they've beat a team that's above them in the standings yet. We'll see. But yeah, the Mavericks. If the Mavericks were to leapfrog both the Lakers and the Trailblazers. Denver's facing Luka and the Mavericks in the five seed if they're in the four seed. I think if you're Denver, you're probably okay being in the four seed in that case, as long as the Lakers drop. If they don't drop, you'd probably rather avoid that matchup at the beginning. That would be my my take. I think you want to kind of go through a playoff run with Murray, with Porter, with Jokic, with Gordon. You want to see how those guys can fare. And then once you see... Once you figure that out, maybe in the Western Conference Finals, if you're lucky enough to get there, you can then face the Lakers, who are probably still dealing with injuries, uh, nicks and bruises and uh, hurt uh, wrists and ankles and things like that. I think that the Nuggets at that point could be a very big threat 
to the Lakers. They might even be better in the first round against the Lakers. I'm not sure. Like, I, I go back and forth on that. But I think that Denver should still try to put themselves into a position where they're trying to win as many games. If they happen to face the Lakers, then it is what it is. We'll see if if uh, if AD comes back. We'll see if LeBron comes back in time to kind of stem the tide for them. But right now, the Nuggets are in the best position of all of these teams. I think they have the least questions, in my opinion. The Jazz have been untested in terms of whether they can actually do it. The Phoenix Suns haven't been there before. Chris Paul will help them. Devin Booker feels like a guy who should be able to do it. Not sure about DeAndre Ayton and Dario Saric as their center rotation. We'll see. The Clippers? I don't know. We'll see about that. The Lakers? If they're healthy, yes. That's a big question mark, as everybody mentions. The Blazers? Big questions. The Mavericks? Big questions. Nobody below them has a chance. If you think about the Nuggets, you don't have any questions about Jokic. You don't have any questions about Murray. You, you might have some questions about Porter, but I tend to have less of them. That's for sure. You probably don't have any questions about Gordon as a uh, as like a third or fourth option. Somebody who kind of blends the, the lineup together. Makes them a little bit more impactful as a whole. I don't think you have any questions about his ability to guard different players. And with that all together, got a really good mix. Got to figure out this bench. But once you do... This team has fewer questions than just about anybody in the Western Conference. And that might just mean that they could win the war of attrition, because the West is going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be about who's left standing, rather than who really dominates throughout this thing. Nobody's going to dominate. It's going to be about who is left standing from this madness. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, Thank you so much for tuning in on this Friday night, Saturday episode. We will be back on Monday. Gonna pre are gonna recap the Sunday game against the Boston Celtics. Might even go get a beer over at the DNVR bar, despite the fact that I don't even like beer. That is something that I'm, I'm not a big fan of beer. I, I'd, I'd take a, a mixed drink any day if you're over there. That is gonna do it on this time. I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.